everyone. This is Alicia from Call for Convent Reform. And today I'm doing a little bit of a case study. Um, I've been meaning to do this for a while. This situation has kind of been weighing on my heart. This might go into more than one episode. We will see. But um, the interest around this case um, revolves around how public it is now and um, the records we have about it. Um, so this is the case of, uh, Augustine and Ferreira, and he was a member for a short while with the, um, the Mount Carmel Monastery, um, which is known very well in the Catholic world for its mystic monk coffee. Um, I think I actually have reported on this before either on the blog or on the podcast i can't remember but um in any case uh i i think looking into this dossier that was written by augustine um is very important um i recently had an incident at my at my parish um which uh offer which says the uh the traditional latin mass um, where a woman was trying to promote the purchase of Mystic Monk Coffee, um, and it was for a good purpose. It's a new, it's a pretty new uh, parish, and <clears throat> um, they were collecting the money for new altar linens, um, which is all very honorable. But I, uh, I made sure to write the lady that in you know, her email was in the bulletin and, um, CC the priest, uh, of, of the parish and let them know of this case and that, you know, this might, and I did very respectfully and, you know, because you don't know what people do or do not know. And I said, you know, this might seem like a great marriage of, you know, two communities that support the traditional Latin mass coming together and supporting each other. But, there are actually a lot of issues here, and I would really hope that you considered the information that's out there about this community and reconsider uh, having, uh, you know, supporting the purchase of this coffee and in hopes of, of gaining money for altar linens, that another uh, another resource of income would would be used for that, um, if at all possible. And um, I have I. I have to say, um, the priest at my parish was uh, very welcoming, and he thanked me for CCing him in the email. And I have not seen anything else about Mystic Monk Coffee in the bulletin. So <clears throat> sometimes it can just be little things, you know. I I know a lot of people who have been in religious life um, and have seen things that they uh, know are wrong are really afraid to speak out and you know I understand the fear and I've been there but you know there's really nothing these people can do to you now um, and um, they don't have the control over your life and they shouldn't and um, you know we should speak out when we see things that are not right and um, if you see something similar happening 
in your neck of the woods where, you know, orders are being supported or encouraged or, uh, you know, brought in and you know that there's something wrong, please speak out. Please, you know, you don't have to be, uh, you know, all guns a-blazing, but just, just do the little that you can. Send an email to a priest and say, hey, I, I know this is, there's information about these, these people or this community, and I would really like you to reconsider. Do it respectfully. Do it professionally. That goes a really long way. Um, don't do it in anger, um, but just, just be honest, you know, and um, sometimes it's the little things that go a really long way. So um, I just encourage everyone to not live in fear and to speak to speak out when they can. You don't have to be on a podcast. You don't have to be, you know, writing a blog, but you can do little things to, to speak out and, and to know that things are wrong and, and to say, Hey, you know, there's, there's issues here. So, um, that being said, <clears throat> I'm going to go into this dossier. It's very long. It's 49 pages. He's very brave because, um, I almost wrote a dossier like this um, about my former religious community and I was told by the priest that um, no one would really look at this so um, it was downsized to about one page um, the priest that had helped me he had a business background and um, just being in the diocese for a while he he, he knew how the game was played so um, but there's a lot of information here and it's very public so this actually came out um, it was actually part of a church militant spotlight, and you can actually still look it up if you go to church militant. Um, you can put counter, it's called Counterfeit Carmel, is uh, the spotlight episode. And um, um, whether you, you know some people like church militant or not, that's up to you, but um, there's really good information here. Um, and it was, it was posted this year on January 13th of, uh, 2022. What's really neat is that, you know, they have the video that you can watch, but they have all the links to Augustine's dossier. Um, they also have a former, another former novice, um, that, uh, says that the dossier is true. Um, and just other letters going on so i think this is very interesting because <clears throat> a lot of what you see it, it's very interesting when you see abuse in religious life there's usually a lot of overlap there's a lot of um you see a lot of things that are very similar uh i i had a i know of a priest that um has worked with abuse victims and he said the reason for that is that because the devil is um the devil just is very stagnant and he has his plan. And that's why you see similar stories across the world when evil is taking place. Um, because the devil, you know, is, is kind of an original. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why you see very similar cases of abuse. Now, there's always going to be exceptions. And there's always going to be um, a array of... Um, interactions and um experiences and augustine definitely you know had very very specific experiences 
that, um, uh, you know, spoke to his community, um, which, you know, is typical, but there's a lot of overlap and a lot of the things that um, me and others who have been talking about abuse and religious life, um, you see a lot of the same tactics, uh, a lot of the same behavior. Um, so that's what I'm going to really focus on today. Not so much um, the things, I'll, I'll kind of gloss over the things that are very specific to this community um, and issues, which you also see in other communities, but I'm, I'm looking at the bigger, wider picture. So if you go to, like I said, you go to Church Militant, you can see this dossier. It's very public. Um, so I'm going to just kind of go in and hit on things that um, relate in a more general sense. So um, <clears throat> the first one of the first things he talks about is his physical abuse, which um, I think I, I if I have to say, um, I think probably happens more in men's religious orders. Um, you know, as Catholics, we believe men and women are different. And there's, um, I, I, I never encountered, encountered physical abuse. Um, and I don't hear that as often from women religious. If I'm wrong on that, I'm wrong on that. But um, so he, there was a brother in this community that he actually points out, uh, Brother Joseph, and uh, there's actually, he actually went to the police about this brother, and I think he was charged. Um, but uh, there were two incidences. One was where he, the brother Joseph, um, quote, threateningly pushed the point of a masonry trowel into my chest as he berated me. And in the second incident, brother Joseph pushed me up against the closed door and wrapped his hands firmly around my neck in a string stranglehold. I did not provoke him or fight back. Uh, the stranglehold incident was cited by the sheriff department, which resulted in Brother Joseph being sent to face charges in court on May 1st, 2020. Uh, and he goes on to say that though the crimes happened to me, I do not believe they are isolated cases. Brother Joseph informed me that he had a history of getting angry at other monks. So obviously physical abuse is uh, never acceptable, especially in a uh, community that's supposed to be living the life of Christ. Um, we know that our Lord never physically abused anyone. Um, the only time he got violent in scripture was when he turned over tables, but never hurt them right he never like <clears throat> strangled them or anything and um he was angry he, he had a, a just anger because of what was going on in his father's house um but never against an individual person and um so that is definitely concerning it only gets worse from there um he also talks about false advertising and deceit as i uh explained above um, like I said, this is very long, so I'm only taking part, bits and parts of this. Um, I, I, I think this is a big issue because, um, in general, because um, a lot of women and men are 
kind of brought into religious life under false pretenses. You know, um, a lot of religious orders will even tell their members that they have to um, always be joyful and always show this joy. So when you have someone who's interested in the life and doesn't know any better and they're seeing these religious who are um, just smiling all the time and laughing, you think, oh, great. I mean, this is what I'm really looking for. You You already have the spiritual intention in your heart that you want to join a religious order and become closer to God. And then you see this community that is supposed to be uh, just, you know, people are happy and living a very full life. And that's very deceptive to what's actually going on when people are being told in the order to be happy and, and, and to always be smiling and being show, show joy. I know of a very large order where the, the sisters are told this, a very popular order, um, the sisters are told to always be happy, to always have a smiling face in front of the public. And if they don't, they are, you know, reprimanded. So um, he says, and I quote from this correspondence he, that he, he, he says before that he was in contact with them for about a year, which is very common for many orders. You kind of go back and forth. And he says, um, quote, from this correspondence and the come and see retreat, I was impressed at being told the idea that the monks of the monastery are con- contemplatives. The novice master sent me the monastery horarium, which um, is a fancy word for daily schedule, which confirmed my idea about the monastery being very contemplative. I understood that the community was building a monastery and that the construction was their work. I also knew that the Benedictine monks of Clear Creek Abbey in Oklahoma are building a monastery as well and that their construction is not incompatible with maintaining contemplative lifestyle. Um, And he kind of goes on more about that. Upon entering and with further research, I discovered these things to be lies. The monastery lay brothers do not live like contemplatives, but work 10 plus hours. Most do masonry and stone cutting and pray less than two hours daily. The horarium I was given was false and misleading. The monastery as a whole does not follow the 1581 constitutions, and neither was a cloister Carmelite men ever a re- reality for St. Teresa. So, again, it's just lies. It's, it's, it's these lies to get people pulled in. And, um, you know, then when they're pulled in, um, they can manipulate the message and say, oh, well, you know, well, that's... Uh, that's or you know something like they, all the all the stuff they pull, um, like that's our message or that that that's our goal. But right now we're really busy, and um, I, I mean I, I I encountered this um to a degree where I was because I was just so overworked. I I barely had time for prayers, and there were a lot of prayers that I didn't get to at the end of the day, which I knew wasn't you know, was a sin to the community for lack of a better term, but, um, I was just so overworked. I didn't have the time. So it's like a catch 22. You're never, you're never going to, uh, be able to, uh, make it work because <laughs> it's humanly impossible when you, uh, actually get 
down to brass tacks. Let's go on. Let's see how much time. Okay. Um, lack of proper formation. Um, lack of prayer life is another thing that he talks about. Um, as mentioned above, the novitiate and lay brothers work 10 plus hours uh, work days and have less than two hours of prayer time. The novitiate was an approximate one hour class with an additional one hour class for uh, second, third year novices daily, yet there is no time to study or read, which is really important. It's actually part of the canon law, and he actually mentions it here um, in canon 625. The uh, the novitia is to be devoted solely to the task of formation and consequently novices are not to be occupied with studies and functions which do not directly serve this formation. Um, so that's a, that's a breaking canon law. And when you when you get into um, the thicket of some what these orders are doing, it's, it's actually breaking church law when you get right down to it. So they weren't following... Uh, the dictates of of the Catholic Church when it came to forming these young men um, into uh, you know lay brothers and in, in the novitiate, which is supposed to be specifically for that purpose, um, warped obedience. Uh, I love how he says tattletelling here because there is so much tattletelling in my community and. You know, um, considering that these women were um, substantially older than me, all the all I, I was in my twenties, late twenties. I was twenty six when I entered, and all of the women were in their sixties and above. And there was so much tattletaling; it was so pathetic. I, I at times I just felt like I was like, you know, not even high school. It was like being a kid again and, and, and having people just act like children. It was, it was, you know, but it was encouraged, you know, in a sense, like the superior would complain about it, but, um, it was encouraged as well because there was never like, Oh, let, you know, stop doing that. You know, there was never like a hard line of, you know, you, you guys need to figure this out amongst yourself. Like, don't, don't come crying to me, but, um, he quotes here, uh, almost every action a monk makes needs permission from a superior and making prudential, prudential decisions without express permission is strongly discouraged. Um, which is, <laughs> um, which brings up a lot of other issues. You cannot do anything. The simplest little, you were trained not to do the simplest little thing that just makes sense, right? Um, without permission. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day because it's just so, like he said, it's warped obedience. Almost every action a monk makes needs permission from a superior making prudential decisions without express permission is strongly discouraged. Couple this abusive form of obedience with a tattletale system where all monks are scrutinizing each other for faults and reporting them to the prior or novice master. Additionally, I discovered that reports to the novice master as well as confidential 
conversations I held with the novice master were shared with the prior without consent, which is very common. They, they will go right up to the very top over stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. If their kid's out of the room, get them out. Stupid shit. It's so retarded. I'm telling you, they will, they will, they make mountains out of molehills. It's, it's, it's just, you can't even begin to understand unless you've been in a situation like this. It's just so unbelievable. And it, and yeah, I, I, I don't have words. I, I dealt with that so many times in religious life. Just stupid, stupid, stupid stuff. <sighs> His conclusion is that the obedience, he has these conclusions at, at the end of all these. And his conclusion here is that the, the obedience practice at the monastery is mentally abusive because it effectively deprives the monks of their ability to think. Thank you, Augustine. I found that the only way to live this type of obedience was to be, be completely mindless. Um, I came across this very early on, and I, I, I remember actually saying at one point to my superiors, it's like I'm supposed to be a robot. And they're like, oh, no, you, you, you can still think for yourself, but you're using, you know, your mind towards blah, 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 blah. Um, that's usually what it sounds like when these people, you know, um, twi make their twist in terms of um, idiocy to make this stuff appear like it makes sense. Um, <laughs> you know, th this is a really big problem in religious life. I don't understand, and I think it really needs to be addressed. If the church would address this, um, and really do something about it, I, I would be, I, I would think, yeah, I, okay, we've made a big step and the church works like molasses. So, um, who knows if and when this will happen, but you know, you have religious that they're, they're so suppressed in their thinking that they, <laughs> that they, um, you know, whether, whether to give like, um, one example, I, I, that's just coming to my mind because there's, there's so many things that can happen, but, um, is, is it like whether to give someone a cup of coffee or, uh, or, you know, I, I remember, um, a religious offering to help in my community, my former community, um, it's not my community anymore. I, I disdain them. But, um, you know, one of the sisters, she was talking to a lay woman and they were, they were doing this project for something and she offered to help with something, um, with cooking like a turkey, which, you know, we had an industrial kitchen, so it's not really a big deal for us. And, um, she was, um, re reprimanded. And I remember I was, I was there um, so it was pretty public for, um, for doing that, um, you know, for, for, um, 
you know, offering to cook this turkey for this big feast that they were going to have for all these kids. Um, it was like one turkey. It wasn't like all of the turkeys. It was one. Um, another instance, it's same same thing. It was the same project. Um, they they had where they were where we went to. They had this pool, and they like had this like floaty, and the, the sisters got on the floaty, and um. Now, I do think this was wrong. Some of the people, like, took pictures and put it on social media, which they really should have asked first. I think uh, we live in such a social media obsessed culture that people don't even think of that first. But nonetheless, you know, it was just so, it was so innocent. And they got reprimanded for that. I was offered to go on the floaty, and I was just, I, I was, like, in shock because I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. Like, I, I knew it wasn't going to go well. And so I didn't, I really wanted to, but I didn't. Um, so, you know, it's just stupid stuff like that. I think I've told the story before of a sister in my community that was, um, she was, we were reprimanded for spending too much money, um, at a, uh, a teaching store. She was under the impression that we could spend whatever we needed this is a founding member of the community. She was in her 80s at the time, and they put her in tears over this. Um, it's just like, why does it matter? You know, um, obedience is held to such a high esteem that it, 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 it eclipses everything else. It can eclipse charity because obedience is, is, is just so important to these people. And that's where all these cult-like things come into play you know it's you know because they're so obsessed with control and how they can control you instead of building a community where you're striving to live the life of a religious and um you know the the, the whatever the dictates of your um rule are you know you get you get lost in the weeds because of of you know how highly regarded obedience is in these communities to a T, and you have to you know you have to obey to a T. You know, um, I I was told in my community that if you even asked, which really r rang bells in my mind, um, if you even asked why you were being disobedient. You know, and that that should not be going on. That is cultish behavior. It's unhealthy. It's toxic. And that <clears throat> should not be going on. People should not be um, so suppressed in their thinking and in their willpower that they can't make simple, stupid decisions for themselves. And I really, if the church really um, address that, I would be happy, you know, and I think some people think that if you start going along these lines that, well, you're just a liberal and well, I'm not a liberal whatsoever. Um, if you know me for two seconds, you would know that, but, um, I know what's healthy and what's not, and I know what's Christian and what's not. I, I, you know, people would make this, look at the Bible, look at scripture. People would make stupid decisions all the time. Do you think our Lord would, would he make a big public thing 
you know, if it, if he could avoid it, you know, how many times do you think he had private conversations with people? You, you don't see Jesus, you know, controlling every aspect of everyone's thoughts, you know, and if, if you're not going to have as your role model, Christ and his apostles and how they lived in community, then, you know, you're pretty much, um, not worth your salt. So, um, we are running out of time. I figured, <laughs> I figured I, I, I would go on about this for a bit. Um, so this is going to have to go into a part two. Um, I will put in the link description, the, um, the, the information about Augustine's dossier. God bless Augustine and Ferreira for being so public. That's very brave. I, I tell anyone that takes any motion to confront what's, you know, these wrongs, I, I tell them all the time they're brave because they are, because there is a culture in the church that wants to tell everyone, we well, can't talk about that. You better, you better not shake the boat. You know, these are good people. Don't, don't you dare, don't you dare talk about this. So, um, thank you, Augustine, for coming out and for telling all of us the issues with this community. Don't buy Mystic Monk coffee. They, they need to get their, their stuff in order. And, uh, you know, they make really good coffee, but you know what? Tim Hortons is cheaper. So, um, until next time, bye.